0: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في كتابه المجيد بعد عوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَظِيمُ وَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ خَيْرُكُم مَّنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَهُ <clears throat> Last night, MashaAllah, we started off the program and the topic was regarding the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. The masjid of the Prophet ﷺ was the foundation for Madinah Munawara. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam laid the foundations of Madina Munawara, the city of Madina Munawara, through the masjid, and there were many different aspects in which the
1: masjid functioned, which were highlighted in last night's talk. One of the functions that the masjid and the roles that the masjid also served the community with was with education, ta'lim. The fact of the matter is that the Ta'aleem and the Tarbiya and the Tazkiyah didn't start with Masjid al-Nabawi. Although Masjid al-Nabawi was, was a formal building, it was a formal construction. You can call it a formal institute if you want to as well. But it didn't begin there. Education of the Prophet, from the Prophet didn't begin there. In fact, the education began very close after revelation, when Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala ordered the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to now go and preach, now go and tell the people about Allah, invite them to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Qur'an Ta'aleem started right after. As soon as you get a group of students, even one student, education begins. Ta'aleem and begins. You don't need a formal place of education, you don't need to have a facility, as long as you have a teacher, and you have a student, Ta'aleem begins right there. Education begins right there. So as soon as a group of sahaba, radhiyallahu anhum ajma'in accepted Islam, and they came into the fold of Islam, Ta'aleem began. As ayat would come down to the Prophet wasallam. Nabi sallam would recite too, the sahaba the sahaba anhu would learn and the initial place where this ta'lim would take soon after these uh, the, uh, you know revelation comes down is in darul arqam so darul arqam becomes an informal place where the muslims can gather it was near mount safa it was located near mount safa and that's where the muslims would gather and they wouldn't gather all together sometimes, because in the time of Makkah Mukarramah, due to the persecution, the Muslims were not able to gather openly, and they were not able to gather all at once in one place. So Sahaba would come in, a group of Sahaba would come in, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would teach them, recite the ayat to them. They would leave. Another group would come. They would learn. They would leave. So on and so forth. The story of Abu Dhar Al Ghifari radiyallahu an is there is notable that when he heard that there's an individual who has a message, he sent his brother when his brother came back and he reported what he found he didn't feel satisfied he said, I have to go and check for it myself he went there and uh, seeing the atmosphere he didn't ask openly he knew that there was trouble going on he didn't ask openly, he stayed there a day it was the Fadl of Allah Taala, Tawfiq of Allah Taala, that he met Ali radiyallahu an. But neither did Ali radiyallahu anh ask him why you're here, nor did he tell him why he's here. He saw that he's a stranger visiting. Said, "Why don't you come with me?" He spent the night there. Ali radiyallahu an provided an accommodation for him. One day goes by like this. One night goes by like this. Two days, I believe it was the third day. Then finally, Ali radiyallahu anh asked, "Why are you here?" What's your purpose here? And so then he says, I'm here to meet an individual who claims to be the Messenger of Allah. And Ali then tells him, follow me. Just keep a distance. It should not be that people get, become aware that you are following me. Because they knew Ali عنه, being the cousin of the Prophet وسلم, had also accepted Islam. So keep. Make sure you're keeping a distance. And Abu Dhar radiAllahu an follows him in this manner to Darul Arqam. And when he hears what the Prophet sallallahu has to say, and the message that the Prophet sallallahu had to deliver, he immediately accepts Islam. And he goes out. He goes out into the courtyard of the Haram, uh, into the courtyard of of the Kaaba, and he proclaims. أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إله إِلَّا اللَّهُ وأشهد أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا And what happens right after? The Quraysh unleash their wrath on him. Until Abbas had to come and stop them. What are you doing? He's from Banu Ghifar. You have an agreement with them. You have, you have trade with them. How could you... What are you doing here? And again, the second day comes Abu Dhar al does say He couldn't contain it because it was the truth and he recognized it this all happened where in darul arqam darul arqam became the place and sahaba Radiallahu anhum who we remember today who are known as the ulama among the sahaba who are known among the learned who are known as the learned among the sahaba they are now uh, they they begin their 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 study in darul arqam Individuals like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud An, Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa ta'ala an and so on. That's where ta'lim first started. And it wasn't until the sixth year after Nubuwa that when Umar Radiallahu anh accepted Islam that the Muslims now get a kind of confidence. They build a confidence and now they're free to work. They, they, they have a, a confidence where now they're not concerned with where they worship. Hamza radiallahu accepts Islam, Umar radiallahu an accepts Islam. Both of these individuals bring support, they bring confidence to the Muslims, and now they're not afraid of worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in public. The thing is, why is education so important? Why is ta'aleem so important? It's because it's through ta'aleem, it's through education that a person learns his values. It's through education and through ta'aleem that a person knows what he believes in and why he believes in it. That's why the first revelation that came down was what? اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق Most people use this ayah and they say, see look, this is promoting education. Hence, we are supposed to be getting degrees. Don't get me wrong, I'm not against that. I myself hold an associate's degree, and if Allah Ta'ala gives me the opportunity, I would love to study more. But people often use this as evidence, to say, look, we have to progress in our education. And when we say education, we're referring to getting our degrees and whatnot. But the maqsad that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala pointed out and highlighted iqra' was what? Bismi Rabbi Your education should lead you to recognition of Allah. Your education should lead you to the recognition of Allah. So from this aspect, I do say, if a person is studying biology, if a person is studying chemistry, if a person is studying math, if a person is studying physics and whatnot, if that study is allowing them to recognize Allah then that uh, and and get d- build a deeper connection with Allah then that is fulfilling the purpose of it although granted just through that a person will not know what the rights and obligations of Allah taala are upon him that is also important that is perhaps the most primary even in education is you recognizing who are you you're the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why are you here? Who created you? Allah Ta'ala created you. Why are you here? You're here to worship Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. To worship Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Where did you come from? How are you here? Why are you here? What's the purpose of life? These were all things that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam laid out to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum through revelation. So that through this revelation, through this knowledge, the person is able to recognize Allah. Bismi Rabbi khalaq, the one who created khalaqal insan min alaq created insan from a clot of blood. Iqra wa akram, read, recite. Your Lord is most honourable. Who taught you with the pen, الْإِنسَانَ Taught insan what he does not know. Taught insan that which he does not know. It is in fact, in my humble opinion, that the, whatever we as, as human beings learned throughout our history, it was through revelation. Everything you can pinpoint to revelation. For example, Nuh alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him how to construct the ark. bi a'yunina wa wahyina. Construct the ark in front of us, in front of our eyes. We are supervising it. Construct it the way we are telling you to do it. It comes in the narrations that the first, among the first individuals to write was Idris alayhi salam. Dawood alayhis salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, gwalakad ataina dawuda minna fadla, ya jibalu a wibi maahu wa ta'il, wa alanna lahul hadid, an amal sabi ratim wa kadir fisar saliha. To Dawood alayhis salam, Allah ta'ala said, We give you the ability, we have made metal, we have made metal soft in your hands. Soft in your hands, where he would be able to bend the metal with his own hands. The metal had become malleable. And Allah Ta'ala taught him the method in which he should build the chain mill, construct the chain mill. Make sure that each unit, each circle, each link is is equal and they're joined together. وَقَدِّرْ فِي but don't get too occupied with this. Your main maqsad is the worship of Allah. So make sure you're also engaged in amalus Salih. Whatever we, we know, whatever we have accomplished, it comes through education. It comes through ta'aleem. But if that ta'aleem does not allow a person to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it does not allow a person to recognize who He is, why he's here, then that education is of no benefit. It, or I should put it in this way, the, the benefit of that education is limited to this life, that's it. And of course, this life compared to the hereafter, is nothing. From that aspect, that education is of no benefit. If it's, li- if it's limited and restricted to this life, if it's limited and restricted to this life, well this life compared to the hereafter is nothing. If we're living a life of 20 years, 30 years, 50, 60, 70, 80, that time goes by so fast. I often ask each one of us that are sitting here, ask yourself, tell yourself how old you are. Some of us here may be 20, some of us may be 15, some of us may be 30, 40, 50, 60. Ask yourself, how fast did that life up until this point go by? Each one, irrespective of his age will say, it went by really fast. Each individual will say, irrespective of his age, even if he's 60 years old, he or she will reply in the same way that the 15-year-old or the 20-year-old will respond. It went by really fast. So whatever time is left of this life, it's well, gonna go by equally as fast, if not faster. So this life, compared to the to life that's to come, is very short. In any case, the foundations of that ta'aleem were set in Makkah Mukarramah. These sahaba would learn from the Prophet Then these very sahaba when they studied five years, ten years, they were in the company of the Prophet Those in whom Nabi recognized the ability to teach and the ability to benefit others, the Nabi sent them out. So among the first people that was sent out for the education of others and for the propagation of the deen was none other than the young Mus'ab ibn Umair He was the first teacher Nabi sent to Madina Munawara. And it was because of him that iman spread in the households of Madina Munawara. There were already people who had accepted Islam. There were already people who had taken even bay'ah at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ. But he was sent to further their education. He had learned for Allah knows, maybe 9 years, 10 years, more than that, in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. Now he was ready. Nabi ﷺ sent him there. And household after household now came into the fold of Islam. Household after household came to the fold of Islam through Mus'ab ibn Umayr, young individual. Then when the Prophet migrated to Medina Munawwara and Masjid nabawi was constructed, this was the one, among the first thing that the Prophet did. Masjid nabawi then also became the center for the ta'aleem, for, the edu- for education. So then sahaba رضي الله عنهم would come and they would learn from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. Even among the sahaba, Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم would tell them, definitely how it's very difficult for one individual to give separate, independent time to each individual. So even in the lifetime of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he declared, anyone who wants to learn the Quran, you can learn it from these sahaba. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عن Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa and he mentioned certain other Sahaba, Zayd ibn Thabit other Sahaba Nabi S.A.W. mentioned in Ubay ibn Ka'b that you can go to them and you can learn the Quran you can go to them and you can learn the Quran as well regarding Abdullah ibn Mas'ud عنه, the Prophet said if anyone would like to to learn the, or recite the Quran the way it was revealed go to Go to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiAllahu an. So then these sahaba became individuals Who other sahaba learned from Masjid Nabawi very quickly became a center then For ta'aleem For education After uh, uh, the initial first year or two Approximately 17 months After the Prophet also migrated to Medina Munawwara We know that initially The qibla where the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims were ordered to face for the prayer was Baytul Maqdis, which is up north. So if you think about the geography, you have Medina Munawara situated in the middle, Makkah Mukarramah is south, and Baytul Maqdis is up north. As long as the Prophet ﷺ was in Makkah Mukarrama, he would face the direction of Baytul Maqdis in such a way where he would position himself in front of the Kaaba, facing al Majl- Aqsa. So that way, he's facing, Majl, uh, he's facing the Kaaba as well as al Aqsa. But when he went to Madinah Munawwara, that option was no longer there. Why? Because al Aqsa is north and Makkah is south. So, but the Kaaba was where? It was located. Uh, Allah Ta'ala had ordered the believers to face al Aqsa. In the 17th, after 17 months in Madina Munawwara, when the order came that now the Qibla is going to change, the Qibla is going to change. Allah Ta'ala, the ayat came down. قَدْ نَرَى تقلب وجهك في السماء right? so Now change your, your direction to, to Masjid al-Haram. Now Nabi Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam, imagine you have this uh, construction. So where you are facing now up, uh, uh, north, now you're facing south. And so the position of the imam is no longer on this side, the position of the imam is on this side. So where originally the imam used to be, where originally the Imam used to stand, that area, that vicinity now became allocated for the Ashab al Sufa. Sufa refers to a platform. And even a couple years back when I had the uh, opportunity to go visit uh, Masjid Nabawi, go for Umrah, uh, I, um, uh, 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 someone who I knew, uh, he who was studying in Medina Munawarah, he showed me the location. So this is the, that platform that is said where the Ashab Sufa Suffa used to stay. Okay, in the old construction. When at that time, of course, Masjid Nabawi went through various expansions throughout the year, throughout the years. But during the Prophet sallallahu this is what would have been. And it's uh, some. of you, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but if, if uh, those who visited, you could clearly see where the new construction starts from and where the old construction is. So there are certain, uh, you know, markers that can. If those who know know that these are that w- the area that demarcates where the Ashabul Sufar, that platform where the al Sufar were. Who are these Ashabu Sufa? These were those sahaba who had dedicated their lives to study from the Prophet. And when you're studying, when you've dedicated your life to study, you're not studying, although it's a you can call it a type of occupation, but you don't get any earning from studying. What type of livelihood are you gonna make from studying? Right? You can't make any livelihood. So these Sahaba radiyallahu anhum were among the poorest of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Barely anything to eat. Days would go by and they would have nothing to eat sometimes. And it wasn't that they're experiencing this alone. The general, uh, the general atmosphere in Medina Munawwara was like that for, for these initial years. Even up until the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's death, uh, Medina Munawwara had not experienced a lot of economic, uh, um, a lot of uh, economic growth. There was, don't get me wrong, there was. But not only that, Whatever, even the economic growth that was there, that was experienced by the Sahaba, there was a general idea of not attaching yourself to the dunya. Not attaching yourself to the dunya. So whatever, and Nabi ﷺ demonstrated that with his own actions. So where Nabi Sallallahu ﷺ would get something, he would immediately go give it away. He would give it, distribute it, give it to them, give it to Ashabu Sufa. Very often, the sadaqat that would come, he would have it spent on Ashabu Sufa and other masakeen among the Sahaba. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, subhanAllah, who we know uh, in the science of hadith, he, he has the most narrations. He dedicated his life to learning and memorizing the hadith of the Prophet. Listen from his own account, it comes in Sahihul Bukhari said, so people criticize me today for narrating hadith. He said, I was with the Prophet, I was there learning the hadith of the Prophet. He said there would be days where I would have nothing to eat, nothing to eat. I would fall unconscious because of, of hunger. He said, one day I because of hunger, I, I I wanted I didn't want to ask anybody for food. So I approached, I saw Abu Bakr radiallahu an and I asked Abu Bakr radiallahu an a masala. Some sort of, you know, a hadith or a mas'ala. But my intention wasn't to ask him the mas'ala. It wasn't to ask him about the hadith. It was so that he could notice my hunger and he would provide me with something. But he didn't notice it. Then I saw Umar radiallahu anhu. And I did the same thing. I asked him a mas'ala. And my purpose wasn't to ask him the mas'ala. It was so that he would notice my hunger and give me something. But he also wasn't able to notice it. And then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw me. And then, Nabi Sallallahu saw me, and he able, before I even said anything. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi sallam recognized that I was, I haven't eaten. I hadn't eaten, so Nabi Sallam called me. I went to his home. Nabi, there was uh, he asked whoever uh, the, his wife, is there anything? She replied, there is a mil- there is a bowl of milk that has been gifted to you, Ya Rasulullah. Small bowl of milk. And, and in my heart, I was thinking, I wish Nabi sallallahu gives it to me. It's a small bowl of milk. I could at least drink it and, 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 you know, quench my thirst. But then what did Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? He said, go call the Ashabu Sufa. He said, what, what are they going to drink from the small bowl of milk? But it was a hukum of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I went and I called the Ashabu Sufa. They came, they drank, one after the other, they drank. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm starving here. I'm starving. What's, they're going to, what's going to be left for me? And finally, because the one who calls, then he's going to be the one that's going to be given the responsibility of feeding everyone. And finally, two people were left, the Prophet and Abu Hurairah Nabi looks at Abu Hurairah and he says, drink, I drink. Drink more, I drink more. Drink more, I drink more. He said, Drink more. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I cannot drink anymore. I've, I, my stomach is already full. My stomach is already full. And then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa took it and he drank the rest. Subhanallah. But these were the sacrifices. Why? Because then these very individuals became the imams. These very individuals became centers themselves. These very individuals became walking institutes. Those who spent decades with the Prophet ﷺ, or not even decades, Abu Huraira accepted Islam, maybe around seventh year hijri, or eighth year hijri, seventh year hijri perhaps. And he came into the company of the Prophet around that time. Three years, four years in the company of the Prophet, but dedicated day and night, day and night, learning from the Prophet. Each one of these sahaba who dedicated their lives, they mentioned where we lived in poverty, where we sacrificed everything. Today Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has opened the world for us. And each one of them became an imam, each one of them became an institute. Wherein uh, uh, Umar Umar he says, he says about regarding Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, that when Kufa, when Kufa accepted Islam, when the people of Kufa became Muslim, and they're asking, could you please send someone to teach us, Omar um, is saying, I'm preferring Abdullah ibn Mas'ud over myself to you. Yani, I would have preferred that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu stay with me, but I'm preferring you over myself, so that you can learn from him. And they learned, they learned, the tabi'un learned from him. Salim, Mawlah Abi Hudayfa, read about his biography. He was what? He was a young boy who was kidnapped from his home of Persia. He was a young boy kidnapped from his home in Persia, brought by a Jewish merchant to Medina Munawwara, which at that time was known as Yathrib. No one was ready to take him. No one was ready to take him. When he would sell him in the markets, they would look at him, he's a skinny boy, what is he going to do for us? Why would he buy him? And one, one uh, a woman, Thubaita, she sees him and Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, puts rahmah in her heart and she says, you know what, I'll purchase him, I'll take him. She purchases him. This boy doesn't even know how to speak Arabic. He has trouble speaking. He has spe- trouble communicating. He hasn't been fed properly. He looks like he's weak. He's about to collapse. And subhanAllah, she takes him under her wing. She adopts him. She feeds him. She clothes him. She, she provides him with education. And when they Eventually when she gets married and they move to Mecca Mukarramah, right then when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gives a da'wah, this is among the first family to accept Islam. And he learns, he learns, this boy who was kidnapped, who didn't know how to speak, he learns, he spends his day and night with the Prophet Where his, adopted fa- uh, his father who adopted him, Abu Talha, where him and his wife, they moved to Habsha because of the persecution, he remains behind to study with the Prophet in Makkah, Mukarramah, in Darul Arqam. Then, when the Sahaba start to migrate after 13 years being in Mecca, 10 years, whatever that time was that they were there in Makkah, Mukarramah, when they are now migrating to Medina Tayyiba, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is sending the Sahaba, Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa is sent. And when they are in Masjid Quba, when they're in these regions, Nabi Sallallahu wa sallam has not yet come, and the question comes, who's going to lead the prayer? Who's going to be Imam? Umar radiallahu anhu is there. Other Sahaba are there. They say, Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa is going to lead the prayer. Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa. Why? He has the knowledge, he, he has most knowledge of the Quran in fact in the khilafa of umar radiyallahu umar radiyallahu would say if only salim were here if only cuz salim mawla Abu Hudayfa, he died in in the in the uh, in the khilafa of abu bakr siddiq radiyallahu fighting with the apostates he was killed and umar radiyallahu would often remark when 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 they were when they asked umar radiyallahu to make a, a shura where he could take counsel from them. He said, if only Salim Mawla Abu Hudayfa were here, he would be enough as counsel for me. Because of his knowledge of the Qur'an. And when, towards the end of his life, when, he, when the issue comes, who's gonna become Khalifa after? He would say, if Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa was here, I would make him Khalifa. These were the people who then graduated. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, عنه, studied with the Prophet when the time came and the people of yemen needed teachers they, they accepted islam nabi sallallahu alaihi muadh ibn jabal anhu, to <laughs> yemen and the interaction subhanallah you'll you'll cry because at that time nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam as he's giving the advice to muadh an on how to deal with the people on how to get them to islam and how you teach them nabi sallam is teaching him how Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also mentions during that time, Nabi sallallahu wa is walking with him as he's bidding him farewell. He says, Perhaps when you come back to Madinah Munawwara, I may not be here. Perhaps when you come back to Madinah Munawwara, when you come back, I may not be here. And Mu'adh radiallahu understands. And Subhanallah, as that happened, as he sent Muadh radhiyallahu an and Muadh radhiyallahu an is now propagating Islam, teaching Islam, and he's acting as a governor on behalf of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi during that period. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam passes away. The next time he returns to Madinah Munawwara, he simply finds the Prophet sallallahu alaihi has already been laid to rest. These are the sacrifices that they made. Is with the sacrifices. And that continued. That was a spirit. That was a spirit that was then instilled within the tabi'un, then instilled within the atba'u tabi'un, and so on and so forth, so on and so forth, until our time today. Until our time today. There are people around the world, you have no idea the kind of struggles that they're going through for the sake of, of knowledge, for the sake of ilm. For the sake of learning about Allah. Learning about what Allah Ta'ala wants from us. One of my teachers he mentioned when he was studying in Pakistan. I'm not to- telling you a story of a hundred years ago. Not of a hundred years ago. This is a story of a couple decades. Of our time. He so said when they were studying in Pakistan, there was a student there who they would notice that every time he would go to do ghusl, he would spend a long time in the bathroom. Long time in the bathroom. And when he would come out of the bathroom, they would always notice that his clothes are a little bit, you know, they're a little moist; they're not uh, uh, dry. They did, and initially, they didn't take notice of it; they didn't really uh, uh, press him regarding it. But over time, seeing this, this is a case every single time, finally they said, "What's going on?" And he he tried to ignore he tried to ignore them. Didn't. Finally, when they really pressured him, he said, "These are the only pairs of clothes I have." So, when I go and make ghusl, I also wash my clothes. But I, I don't want to come out with wet clothes, so I wait till they dry. I try to take out as much water as I can and I wait for it to dry a little bit, and then I come out. SubhanAllah. We're not talking about 100 years ago. We're not talking about 200 years ago. We're talking about in our lifetimes, in our own lifetimes. There are people like this who are sacrificing for learning. Why is learning important? Why is education? Why is the formation of these madaris so important? This is what will save and protect our iman and the iman of the generations to come after. I'll tell you my own self. I was born and raised here. I went to high school here, middle school, I went to elementary school here, did college here. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, we are indoctrinated, indoctrinated, okay? Not taught, indoctrinated in their beliefs. What beliefs? I still remember when we were in elementary school. You start talking about Darwin. You start talking about Darwin. You don't think it's a big deal. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Okay, Darwin, the theory of evolution. What's the big deal about it? Okay, great. They're learning it. But what is it's teaching you? You you were evolved. You are evolved from apes and monkeys. So this is what, to put in simple words, that's what you're taught. Your children, our children, we're taught this. So now, you're going through elementary school learning what? We were evolved, we were evolved. You took out the picture of God right there. You didn't take it out, you didn't take God, you didn't take Allah out of the picture directly, but indirectly, what are you, essentially what are you saying? There is no God, you were evolved. You get higher, you study more, now you study biology. I say subhanAllah, when I say... See the thing is, when you are taught properly, when you have people of Allah Ta'ala teaching you, then every subject that you study gets you closer to Allah. When I studied biology, every single thing that I learned in biology, I, I would just say and say, subhanAllah, 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 this is my Allah, this is my Allah. But they take out all the spirituality from it, they take out all the lillahiya from it. Oh, this is how it's, it is, you just take a sim- something simple as cell division, mitosis, meiosis, right? How subhanallah, who is it that tells each cell? Who is it that tells each cell what it has to do and what function it has to do? Is it it's, by itself it happens? By itself it happens? When these cells are multiplying, who is it that tells, this cell is going to become a brain cell, this cell is going to be a blood cell, this cell is going to be a bone cell, this cell is going to be a muscle cell? Who is it the one that directs it all? Allah does it. But all of that is removed. You study chemistry, you study physics, you study any of those subjects. And at the end of it, when you go to college, you take a philosophy class, and subhanallah, now the professor starts saying all kinds of things, and. And we're not trained. What, what training did we have? We went to Sunday school. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, demean Sunday school and the efforts of, the, of those who run these Sunday schools. But you, I, I ask you, genuinely, is that sufficient for the protection of our faith and what we believe in? That is why these institutions are so important. That's why they are the cornerstones, they are the foundations that will help protect our generations to come. Up now, they wonder, okay, well, we were evolved from monkeys and apes. Like SubhanAllah. That's what our children are believing in. I say, I say, SubhanAllah, those, of, uh, those who believe that their forefathers were, were, were monkeys, ticket, your forefathers, your forefathers may have been monkeys and apes, not our forefathers. My father is Adam and my mother is Hawa. They they did not live in a primitive lifestyle. They didn't learn how to survive. They were people who lived in Jannah. They knew the sophistication of Jannah. They knew the libas of Jannah. They knew the the food of Jannah. They were sophisticated people. They knew what sophistication was. They knew adab. They had etiquette. Open up the books of hadith. There's a whole chapter, Kitabul adab that talks about social etiquette. How do they say salam? What is the Muslim greeting? As-salamu alaykum. What does it mean? How, what are the adab related to salam? When you're going to someone's house, there's a whole chapter called babul isti'zan. Those adab related to seeking permission, those adab related to seeking permission when you're entering someone's home. Subhanallah. This is the sophistication that our deen teaches us. This is the, this is the sophistication our deen teaches us. So our forefathers, our forefather was Adam. Our mother was Hawa. And they knew these sophistications. Perhaps I, I think to myself that perhaps it's this very sophistication that Allah had given them in Jannah that allows insan to try to recreate, try to replicate Jannah in this life. Except that when we try to do that, and we should, we try to do it as much as we can. Right? We try to improve our living conditions, but we remember then the statement of the Prophet. You can try your best to facilitate your life here, to make your life sophisticated here. You're living as, as best as possible. That's good, that's great. But you always have to remember your Jannah is waiting for you there. This is not the ultimate end. This is not the ultimate end. Your Jannah is waiting for you over there. This this is the know all and end all for the one who doesn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this dunya will be paradise for the disbeliever, but for not for the believer. Not for the believer. His home is waiting for him. Our home is waiting for us. But we're not gonna be we're not gonna be able to go there easily. We have to strive, we have to struggle. This is why education and these types of institutions are so important in the preservation of what we believe. We are now facing uh, 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 you know, issues from all angles. The generation that we're living in and the generation that's coming now, that's studying in school, this will be one of the first generations where something like LGBTQ will be a norm. Where they will grow up, thinking that LGBTQ is something normal. No generation prior to this had this in their mind. Perhaps قوم at that time, but after that, this is now the first generation of, of kids that are going to grow up thinking that there's what's wrong with LGBTQ? Why do we have to follow an ancient text? If you think I'm making this up, I'm not. We have had cases where a student, a person who's a, who was born in a Muslim family, raised in a Muslim family, is saying what? Why do we have to follow an ancient book? Why do we have to follow the dictates of this book and tell us what we have to do? SubhanAllah. So it's these places that teach, that protect, that preserve. Why do we believe what we believe in? And so, the. The school, the environment, that becomes absolutely integral, that becomes foundational. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam knew that, and you saw that demonstrated in ashabul Sufa and you saw that demonstrated in generations up until today. Today we read about the Nizamiya College where Imam Ghazali was studied. We hear about Darul Umdiyabun. These have become a part of our history. I tell you, a day will come where institutions like this, where we're sitting at, they will also be part of our history, our children will read about. In order to protect ourselves, our children, our communities, these are vital, these are vital. If you see, despite all the stuff that happened in our Islamic history, Whether it was the Mongol invasion, whether it was the differences of opinion that happened among even the Sahaba or after the bloodshed that took place, what survived were people of knowledge and students of knowledge. They carried on. So where you have individuals, where you have things like the Mongol invasion, in Baghdad, where Baghdad now becomes completely uh, 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 torn apart you still have people of knowledge there, you still have people, a, a st- students studying, learning. These are vital. Now, the last thing that I'm gonna finish with, is that when we do talk about education, we always think, yes, our but our children, our children, our children have to study, we have to protect our children, we have to make, make sure that they get their education. What about us? What about us? What's gonna happen to us? How do we expect our child to learn the Qur'an and to follow the sunnah of the Prophet when we ourselves do not demonstrate that in front of him? Children come to us, they tell us, you, you, you're telling us to memorize this, you're telling us to do this, my father wants us to, to memorize the Qur'an, but you know when I'm home, you know why aren't you reciting your sabaq? Why aren't you memorizing? Oh, you know when I'm home, my father tells me, my mother tells me, memorize the Qur'an, but he or she, they're sitting watching television. What, what example are you setting? Can you understand the kind of confusion now that you're creating in the, in the minds of, of, of these youngsters? Where you're telling them, no, you, ha- you have to follow the sunnah, you have to you know, recite the Quran, you have to listen to Mulvi you have to listen to Hafizab. But But the, the image that the parent themselves are demonstrating is complete disassociation. We ourselves, those of us who are older, those of us maybe not married yet or are starting our families now, what are we doing now? So education is not limited to little kids. Education is not limited for the five-year-olds and the ten-year-olds, and then after 18 or after 22, you're done with college, and that's it. That's where your education ends. No, learning the Deen is a lifetime. It, 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 it is something that requires your life. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu an when he came to the Madrasa of the Prophet sallallahu if you want to so call it that, he was not five years old. He was not ten years old. He's two years younger than the Prophet sallallahu alaihi approximately. And if the Prophet is 40 when he gets his first revelation, Abu Bakr Siddiq is 38. And he continues to learn from the Prophet until the death of the Prophet And there are sahaba older than him, sahaba younger than him. Education is not limited to our children. Each one of us has to make a resolve. A determined resolve. I am going to educate myself. I am going to learn about the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that means I could do something that's full time, great. I could do a one year program, great. If not, let me fi- find a weekend program. Let me learn. For those of us who are in college and you ask yourself, you're taking these philosophy classes, you're taking these other classes, how much have you actually learned about the deen of Allah ta'ala? where they come to you and they, they start saying all kinds of of honesty is nonsense. And then now you're listening to it and you're wondering, yeah, is there Allah? Does Allah exist or not? And SubhanAllah, what did you do to actually learn about Allah? And remember, th- th- when a person is in that type of environment, and they're, they're they uh, that type of environment promotes sins. When a person starts committing sins, and a person starts to stay away from the ibadah of Allah, he has now opened the doors for shaitan to attack. He has opened the door for shaitan to attack. That's why in, in the Qur'an, you see, in so often Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes, iqamatu salat, iqamatu salat. And where is a person supposed to pray the salat? In the masjid? So these places then become a fortress, a spiritual fortress against uh, what, these, uh, what, what you're learning out there. I also went through that process. I also went through that process. I could mention story after story, but subhanAllah, uh, time's up. But if, if we're getting something out of this program today, is that I don't care what age, I don't care what age I may be, I'm going to learn the deen of Allah Ta'ala. You know how to recite the Qur'an? You don't know how to recite the Qur'an? Learn to recite the Qur'an. You know how to recite the Qur'an? Now learn what the Qur'an has. Learn from someone. What is it that Allah Ta'ala wants from me? Learn. From, learn. Uh, what are the, the obligations that Allah has put on me? Learn. If it's on a weekend basis, great, no problem. If it's online, alhamdulillah, everything's online now. You can find an online option, great, alhamdulillah. But that's, if there's one thing that we're going to leave from here, is that I am going to be a lifelong, dedicated student of knowledge. Of whether that's on a part-time basis or on a full-time basis, that doesn't matter. But I'm going to find some way to learn. insha'Allah. Yes? Insha'Allah ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us, our children, our families, from all the fitnah that are around, and allow us to preserve our iman, preserve uh, 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 our Islam in these types of environments. Wa da'wana